This is Both Wonderful and Strange, a Twin Peaks podcast. My name is Chris Van Howe. We've got a special treat tonight. Uh, for the first time since we started this podcast, Amelia and I are in the same place, in the same state. Uh, she is sitting here across from me in a big comfy chair. <laughs> and uh, say hello. 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 This is really exciting to, uh, to be doing this in the same room. We are going to be talking part 12 of Twin Peaks The Return tonight, and I think we're just going to get right into it. Do you have anything special to say now that we're here? Uh, just that it'll be great to not have the call drop. Yes. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, uh, we disguise it well in the finished product, but we've been having some, some technical difficulties with our, our, our phone conversations, which tend to go for quite some time. And really, like when we're getting to like the, the crescendo of the conversation, I'll just hear M- Amelia say, hello, hello. <laughs> so I don't think we'll have to worry about that tonight, which is good. We're also in a very comfortable space. There's like some windows looking outside, some windows looking inside. It's pretty classy. So big leather armchair. Yes. Yeah. She's got the uh, Gordon Cole <laughs> row and I'm, I'm Albert coming to collect her from her revelry. So we are talking part 12 of Twin Peaks The Return tonight. The episode tagline, uh, f- very famous in Twin Peaks lore and mythology, is simply, let's rock. And the episode opens up in what I have to believe is the fanciest hotel in Buckhorn, South Dakota, the Mayfair. And we find our FBI crew, Albert, Tammy, and Gordon Cole, Hanging out in like a little lounge. There's some fancy bottles of wine. I assume a nice Bordeaux. That's, <laughs> that's Cole's mo. And we've really like the episode kicks off with a bang because we we learn about the Blue Rose. And for you, Amelia, having just watched Fire Walk with me for the first time, to see the advent of the Blue Rose in Twin Peaks mythology must have been pretty exciting. But uh, we learn that the Blue Rose cases are an offshoot of an old government program called Project Blue Book, which was used to investigate UFO land air sightings in the 50s and 50s through the 70s. Uh, Project Blue Book is a pretty big part of Twin Peak, a secret history of Twin Peaks. So now it's now that story and this story are really smashing together, which is pretty exciting. Um, but the the crew is inducting Tammy into the Blue Rose group. Uh, tell us about the Blue Rose, Amelia. Who who was in charge of it initially, and uh, and and sort of where are they at now? Yeah, this just like you said, it was pretty exciting to actually hear exactly what the Blue Rose is. Um, as you mentioned, it grew out of Project Blue Book. Uh, it was headed up by Gordon Cole. Uh, and some of the agents who were part of the Blue Rose team were uh, Cooper, Mm -hmm. Chester Desmond, Philip Jeffries, and Albert. And unfortunately, Albert is the only one who is still around uh, in one piece in his sort of correct moral state, if Mm -hmm. we're we're thinking about Cooper here. Um, And so it's obviously a very momentous occasion that Tammy is is being inducted into the Blue Rose. Absolutely. I I like to, this scene made me think of Albert as like 
that old cat that your relative has. <laughs> it's like 24 years old. And whenever you walk by, it takes a swipe at you. Yep. But every once in a while, it'll cuddle up and be really friendly, but you better not cross it. Absolutely. That's, One year missing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they, they induct Tammy into this group. Uh, Cole, because of these disappearances and the craziness around it, has been hesitant to bring in new blood. We find out they've been watching like monitoring Tammy's performance since high school and through MIT. And it's, yeah, it's maybe a little creepy, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but she's in and she is, she's very moved by it. There's a lot of, it might be the most interesting performance by uh, Krista Bell yet, because there's a lot of like, like sighing and chuckling and, you know, excitement for, for this occasion. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the sounds she made were very interesting, yeah. and uh, I think if I hadn't known the occasion, if you just took those sounds and, and used them for a different occasion, they could mean <laughs> something completely different. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I think I still prefer her performance in the in the awkward smoking scene. Yeah, that's you mentioned, mentioned that's still earlier. the highlight mm-hmm. for for that scene. So they're they're a big happy family drinking good wine. Um, they, Diane is on her way. As we learn a text message received by Gordon, uh, Diane comes in. She is very obviously set apart from the three of them. They're drinking wine. She's drinking vodka. She's sort of sitting in a chair facing the three of them and they're all facing her. Like there's just this very interesting physical separation. She also, I I liked the, like she walks in through red curtains, like that kind of heavy-handed imagery there. Um, but they are offering Diane a temporary deputization, uh, you know, sort of bringing back her work with the FBI. She knows of the Blue Rose with her time with Cooper. And uh, Diane asks what's in it for her. They're going to give her some cash, maybe the chance to find out what happened to her friend Cooper. And what is Diane's, she thinks about it, but what's, how does she let him know that she's on board? Let's rock. Let's rock. So we're off. Uh, We head out to Twin Peaks, a scene of a forest in the distance and a field closer to the camera. And it seems like Jerry Horn is out of the woods. (laughs) So does this mean that we're out of the woods? Like, have we gotten through most of it? I seriously doubt it. I mean, <laughs> I we're in right. we're in what part twelve? We have six more parts left. If part eight is any indicator of David Lynch's powers, I, I still think he's got some more stuff up his sleeve for us. There's going to be some weirdness, right? Like, I don't know if that'll be on the grand scale of an entire episode, but I'm sure we're going to get our minds blown at some point. Jerry's out of the woods, though. It'll be interesting to see. Is he gonna? head back to hang out with Ben. I'd watch an hour of just those guys right? chopping it up. I was very excited to see Jerry again. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I missed him in episode 11. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Gr- glad to have my Jerry Horton check exactly. in. <laughs> Seems like he's got his foot back. Um, all that. We then stick in Twin Peaks. We move to a store of some variety and, and we spend some time with Sarah Palmer. Some creepy time with Sarah Palmer. And obviously... Maybe I feel a little bad calling it creepy time because she's been through a lot. But Sarah Palmer has always been always been spooky, yes. as to to use Laura Palmer's word. Uh, but now she's just 
sad and alone and spooky mm-hmm. and buying all the booze <laughs> all of it <laughs> her her sigh and this is an episode of size i when i do my rewatch i watch the first episode totally unfettered on a big tv no notes no phone glass of water maybe a glass of wine no distractions mm-hmm. you know don't i try not to stop it i just try to go all the way through The second time I watch it, I generally watch it with headphones on my iPad or on my computer. Mm -hmm. And I often watch it with closed captions on as well. And this episode was definitely an episode of size. We mention Tammy already. Later, we're going to get a scene with Ben Horn where there's a lot of really, you know, grumbly groans and sighs that are pretty great but the noise that sarah palmer makes when she goes back for the fourth bottle of, of vodka and it's not there it's just hmm. <laughs> like like three's not enough she knows she knows she got a lot of bloody mary mix too so. <laughs> right she is ready <laughs> uh so she approaches the cashier uh she's got her vodka she's got her bloody mary mix she's getting a carton of salem's um and then and the beef jerky freaks her out the turkey jerky so she gets into this very strange conversation with the young cashier and and bag boy and it sort of escalates like she's she's asking questions about the jerky and then it gets scarier and scarier and she says things like you have to watch out there are men coming things can happen something happened to me and then she starts speaking in the third person so what i want to ask you is when you were taking that to the third person is she talking to herself as herself is she coaching herself like just get out of here sarah or is there some other aspect of her personality that was telling maybe sarah's at the wheel but she's not in control that's interesting Uh, initially i had just thought that it was her being like like you're being a creep get out of here you know you're clearly freaking out these kids but now that you say that i uh i wouldn't be surprised if there's something akin to schizophrenia or or multiple personalities or, or something else going on with Sarah. Yes. Yeah, there was someone had a theory that I read that Laura was going to come back and inhabit her mother in some way and like seek revenge. Oh, I don't like that, that at way. all. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um, one thing that I really like and and you're 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 watching Seinfeld now, mm-hmm. right? You're telling so have you met Susan's parents yet? Not yet. Have you met Susan? Not yet. Okay. No, I'm still in like first season. Got it. So as as you're going through, George has a relationship with a woman named Susan, and Susan's parents are played by Grace Zabriskie and Warren Frost, Donna Hayward's dad. Oh no! Way. Which is really fun to see them uh, together in Seinfeld, and they're they're a very dour <laughs> couple, and and Grace Zabriskie plays it with her typical like sauced waspy just (laughs) petulance for the world so i look forward to you meeting them in that universe a much funnier universe uh from sarah's house or from the the grocery store we go to her house later uh, we go to the new fat trout trailer park and carl's just being a solid dude again Carl's the best. He really is. Yeah. Uh, we talked about this last week that, you know, the actor playing Carl Harry Dean Stan is 91 years old or 91 now. So he's probably 89 or 90 when he shot mm-hmm. those scenes. But uh, tell us a little bit about this scene. What's he, what does he do for his, his tenant? This is, I mean, this defines Heart of Gold, right? I mean, this 
older gentleman is walking with a cane and very slowly, very laboriously, and Carl comes out, and I forget what the gentleman's name is, but Carl comes out and says, you know, did you do this work? And the man says, yes. And he says, did you get paid for it? No. And Carl asks him again, well, did you do this work? And did you get paid for it? No. And Carl hands him money. Uh, oh, first he says, are you going to sell your blood? Mm-hmm. The guy says, yes. And Carl hands him money and he's like, listen, don't pay me rent next month. I don't want you selling your blood anymore. <laughs> the medical professionals need blood, but you've given you've enough. Given enough. <laughs> Go home, you know. And, uh, I don't like people selling their blood to eat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one one little detail that I noticed here, having just watched Fire Walk with me, is mm-hmm. when we first meet Carl, uh, Agent Sam Stanley and Chester Desmond knock on his door before 9 a.m. And the sign clearly says on the door, never before 9 a.m. The sign at the new Fat Trout Trailer Park says 9.30. Yep. And Carl has earned that half an hour. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely so yeah solid dude really you know i these scenes sort of come out of nowhere carl has been he was present for probably the most awful scene of this season so far with the hit and run accident or or murder of uh, that boy and but every scene with him you just you just sort of get the sense that Lynch really likes i mean Harry Dean Stan has been in his movies and his you know has been a part of his repartee and 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 that before but there's a real appreciation for sort of the the goodness in him from there we spend a little time with dougie and sunny jim our only time this episode (laughs) it is a it is a silent scene sunny jim pushing his father out into the backyard nice vista behind them and they're gonna play some catch well, <laughs> they're going to play they're some gonna throw. <laughs> some throw and some bonked in the head. So Sonny Jim throws the ball. It hits Dougie in the head and scene. And that's it. The ball rolls to the side. <laughs> that's it. That's the only time we spend with Dougie in this episode. And it's been... How many episodes it's been since we spent time with, with Bad Cooper? Was it part nine last time we saw him when he recovers from getting shot and takes off yes yeah so now we've gone almost four full episodes from that opening scene of part nine without knowing where bad cooper is i don't like that he could be anywhere yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's i like to be able to track that guy (laughs) at least i know where he is in regards to me but now he could be anywhere uh back to twin peaks we visit uh hawk visits sarah at the palmer home the the one creepy thing is the fans are on again which is never a good never sign a good in sign. the palmer home yeah that was um talking again about fire walk with me the like leland turning the fan on was a really dark sort of like twist mm-hmm. to all that let alone like the drugging and the you know the incestual rape <laughs> but yeah just to you know push that aside <laughs> right. turning on the fan turning is on pretty the fan terrible. is pretty bad <laughs> no i uh yeah the scene uh now that i think about it more i think your um your comment that that sarah maybe has some other sides of her personality i think that that was really came out in her conversation with hawk 
yeah, there was some. She was she was being creepy. She was being pretty spooky. Spooky and like conversation. And then there was the noise in the kitchen. And my thought was like, what's she done to the bag boy? (laughs) Right. Well, because it sounded like a million bottles of vodka, which it was a million bottles of vodka. But I guess at any point, like maybe she puts them up in pyramids or like at any point, like if you're gonna if breeze blows through that house, it's probably gonna knock over an empty bottle of liquor. Um, but Hawk has this conversation and again, we got Carl, we got Hawk, it's real stand-up dudes in Twin mm-hmm. Peaks. Uh, Hawk has this, this, this conversation with Sarah asking her if she's okay and she's sort of dismissive and then she really locks in and she looks, has this fierce look on her face and she says, it's a goddamn bad story, isn't it Hawk? And like really nasty mm-hmm. delivery and look on her face and Hawk never breaks. She says, you know, if you ever need any help of any kind give me a call so so i feel like we're going to spend some more time with sarah palmer before our time in twin peaks is over and why not like what a performance like the the anguish that grace sabrisky captures is and the intensity of Mm -hmm. that anguish i mean even going back to the first time we see her walk watching that like terrifying video i you could just feel it yeah radiating yeah feel the desolation and, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable and to think like 25 years in that house <laughs> move it's gotta of, move a lot of vodka get out a lot of vodka um <clears throat> quick jump into the the hospital and there's a, before we see why we're at the hospital there's just sort of one of those slow lynchian shots going down a corridor and it just it felt very familiar like all of a sudden, like maybe the walls have been painted and things like that. It's like, oh, but this is where this is where Renette was in her coma. This is where um, one of the uh, the French Canadian brothers. Their names just the name totally jumped out of my head. Jacques. Jacques. Yeah, and that's where Leland Ice's him is in the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. all that. And we see Miriam laid up in the hospital bed, all busted up, all Renette Pulaski'd out. Um. Not looking too good after her encounter with Richard. No kidding. Yeah. Um, some quick, quick hop over to Buckhorn. Uh, tell us about Diane's text messages. I, yeah, Diane. Yeah. Diane. Um, so she gets, she gets a text message from, again, an unknown number who I think that we can, we can pretty assuredly guess is bad Cooper by this point. And it just says, Las Vegas, question mark. And she answers in all caps, they haven't asked yet. What that is, whether it's about Dougie, uh, I sort of suspect it is. I, I think that Bad Cooper knows about Dougie. I don't think that he knows that Dougie has become Dougie Cooper. So do you think that... Bad Cooper is waiting for the FBI to figure out that the real Cooper is in Vegas. Is that? Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. I think he, um, Cause he, yeah, he, I may... think he has a trap planted for yes. them. Okay. And with, with Dougie is the decoy, but I, I, I don't think he knows that Dougie shriveled up in the, in the real, the Dougie that he had planted. Right. Yes. 
Yes, because yeah, he I don't he doesn't know that the switch has been made. Right, got it. Right, because um, it seems like Chantel and Hutch are assassins. We're going to spend some time with them in a little bit here, but it seems like they're headed to Vegas after they do what they do in this episode. That was the impression I got from their meeting on the farm. Mm-hmm. Is that they may need them there? He said like a double header. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Okay. So back to Twin Peaks, we are in the Great Northern Hotel in Ben Horn's office. Uh, Ben's working away, and for like 30 seconds, we're on Ben, and he's just like murmuring to himself and picnic, sucking his teeth and doing the books. And Sheriff Truman shows up, and Frank is there to deliver the news to Ben that the jig is up with Richard Horn. They know he killed the boy. They know he attacked Miriam. He's there to ask Ben for some assistance with Miriam's medical bills, which Ben doesn't hesitate. Seems like the Ben Horn of old is gone for sure now. This is a great scene. This is a pretty extensive scene. Um, And after they get through the business with Richard, throughout the whole scene, we see the old Great Northern Key on Ben's blotter. And why don't you describe the the scene between Truman and Ben Horn when the key is introduced? I found this scene very curious. Um, I I found Ben Horn's reactions all very. Um, let's see, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like he he expected all of it, but hoped it had would never happen. Yeah. And so he's just sort of in this resigned state. And so he just sort of offhandedly says to to Frank Truman, oh, you know, this this came in the mail the other day, this key 315. This was, I'm, I'm very sure that this was Cooper's old room. And do you think that Harry would want this? And Frank's eyes kind of light up, but mm-hmm. he's he seems reluctant to be like, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of, of sort of silent play between these two guys. There is, and it, it's funny because I, I picked up on that too. And I think that from from Frank Truman's point of view, it's like, well, this Cooper stuff keeps on popping up. I can't be too eager to grab this. And from Ben's point of view, my interpretation was like, well, when Cooper was here, I was a different person. I was a bad person. And, you know, like... Could these these things that they're investigating somehow lead back to the sins of my past as well? Like that, like it was. There was all this stuff simmering under the surface mm-hmm. for each of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I think Ben Horn's Ben Horn's um, his his sort of gosh, I'm I'm losing my words tonight. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he. Uh, his regrets are not unfounded, right? I think his bad deeds were so linked to everything that Cooper was investigating. He was sort of always just one step away mm-hmm. from being really in trouble. Uh, yeah, so I'm not surprised that he was not particularly eager to just hand over to the key to Frank. Yes, yeah. Figured if we gave it to Harry, it's a memento. Gives it to Frank. It's, you know, it's a key to too linked to, yes. to current police right. actions. Exactly. Yeah, the, the mention of other old cases and things like that really gave some neat weight to the scene. But at the same time, it was never 
like the Ben Horn of old would have tried to manipulate or whatever. It was just, he was just very careful. Mm-hmm. He was very, you know, and do you think you'd like it? Yeah. I think you would like it. Mm-hmm. I think you would like it too. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, very, very coy. So they pass the key off. Sheriff Truman goes on his way. And then Beverly comes in. Ben gives her the lowdown. My grandson, Richard, assaulted, killed that little boy, assaulted this woman named Miriam. Uh, he can call the hospital, make sure her medical bills are taken care of. And then he tells this great story about this bike mm-hmm. that his father gave him. And he's transported back to this time where he had this bike and he loved this bike. And excuse me, the this story all seems to be just about how important his father was to him and how Richard didn't have a father and how for however Ben is making sense of what Richard is that seems to be the key to him. Like he never had a father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to agree with you more and more that I do think that bad Cooper is probably, probably Richard's father. Yeah. You know, I don't like it, but when, when, when we left Audrey at the end of the original season series, her, her her train was going up like her your stock was rising she had john justice wheeler she was fighting for a cause like you know she, she was, was involved in the business yes you know, she was gonna help yeah help daddy manage the great horn mm-hmm. and then, yeah really yeah. just doing well for herself doing well and then stay tuned <laughs> so from the scene in the great northern office we go to another well-appointed room we interrupt a a date yeah, a rendezvous, some sort of encounter between Gordon Cole and a lovely French woman. <laughs> He's telling her some kind of war story, you know, 75 men climbing up the mountain, sirens blaring, guns drawn. And then there's the knock on the door. Very reminiscent of... Uh... His interactions with Shelley in the uh, in the double R when he's impressing her with yes. war stories. Yeah. Gordon Cole, man. <laughs> Ladies man. All the way. I love this scene so much. Just even thinking about it has me smiling, much like Gordon Cole smiles throughout the whole thing. Uh, Albert comes into the room. He needs he needs the room. He's he's ruining he's ruining Gordon's fun. So Gordon is very, very politely asks his his date to meet him at the bar later. And then it takes her three minutes to leave. <laughs> so let's what are the things that she does in this? So first, yes. she puts on her sweater. Yep. She adjusts, adjusts her dress. Yes. In and all of this is in a way to make herself extremely visible yes. to Gordon. She is entirely aware of his gaze the whole time Mm -hmm. and loving every moment of it so after the sweater she then puts on her shoes um and sort of like kicks her legs in the air Mm -hmm. i mean she is just très bien (laughs) très chic très chic that's what Uh, he says right yes yeah she is playing this up to the max so after that i believe she she picks up her purse laboriously picks up her purse, mm-hmm. sort of stands up, makes her way to the door. When she's there, she frames herself attractively in the doorway, mm-hmm. has an extended goodbye. Yeah, she the the one detail I like was she kisses her lips with her fingers and then spends like 10 seconds, where is she going to put it? <laughs> where is Cole getting the kiss? And he gets it on the lips. <laughs> There's the one scene where she's putting on her lipstick 
and they the camera flashes to Gordon. He's just like got his lips puckered and his <laughs> smile. He's just eating it up. Um, I I feel like this scene is a very clear indication to us as the audience that like Lynch is just going to do what he wants. Like <laughs> this is his show. This is his time. He's going to, you know, he's going to watch this woman take her three minute exit and he's going to love every second of it, <laughs> regardless of what everybody else thinks. He doesn't care what Albert thinks. doesn't care what you and I think. It's just going to happen. And it was lovely. So finally, one of the things that it ends and when she leaves, it's not like they get right down to business. Gordon Cole still takes like a minute. Telling about telling him about this, like she's visiting her cousin, her daughter's missing. She's from a turnip farm. <laughs> Don't worry, she'll turn up. <laughs> and Albert, Albert, who is the king of puns, right? Yeah. He and Constance have demonstrated their uh, their adeptness at telling amazing puns, and Albert just gives him this freezing look of. <laughs> of albert pure albert essence <laughs> pure albert essence it's really good it's really good so the, albert is there to deliver the news of diane's las vegas task text and uh cole's response to like the question they haven't asked me yet is what what do we know that we haven't asked her about i love that the question. response yeah yeah it's pretty you know as silly as that whole scene was gordon cole still pretty uh pretty top-notch investigative mind absolutely like he's he's playing diane he knows that something's not right there and he's playing her which is good then they have this sort of meaningful silence between them and albert or cole puts his hand on albert's shoulder and says albert sometimes i really worry about you which is like i got a little teary-eyed in that scene because the actor who played you know, Miguel Ferrer, who played Albert Rosenfeld, had passed away shortly after or shortly before, you know, I think about a year ago. So after he had filmed his scenes, but before the show came out and he was a young man and all that. So it's really like that scene really kind of got to me a little bit. It was very sweet and touching. I agree. Yes. I, yeah, I, I agree. So from here we are. Uh, somewhere near the Yankton Federal Penitentiary, the the warden's home. They're in a. Uh, <laughs> they did choose at home and not at work or on, on the, the way. way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, got them at home. Uh, Chantel and Hutch, our our, our assassin team, uh, Dirty Cooper's assassin team, are waiting for the warden to come home, and they're having this very Tarantino esque conversation about. You know, she's not going to torture him. Clearly, she loves torture because she volunteered it in the uh, when Cooper gave him their marching orders. But she's too hungry. Torture him today. And, and Hutch is like, well, I could just shoot him in the legs and he could grab him. He could torture him then. Like, he likes torture, too, apparently. <laughs> she's still too hungry. And he's like, I saw Wendy's on the way, way, the way back there. So Warden comes home, gets killed. Mm -hmm. in a pretty horrific way as most deaths there's a lot of like if if head wounds make you squirmy this is not the show for you <laughs> it is all just it is all just the tops of heads getting blown off um but the warden is is shot and killed his son 
runs out to the porch. That was rough. There have been so many like rough um, father-son relationship or father-son moments in this or just like general son moments. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the hit and run, of course. I'm thinking of Dougie's relationship with Sonny Jim, though sweet is completely empty uh, because Dougie is, is not a real person. <laughs> Um, yeah, and this, this was hard. I don't think any, um, I don't think anyone wants to see their dad die on their front porch after being shot in the head. No, that's, that's a, uh, that's a bad look for sons and dads. Um, tough, tough stuff there. We move back to Twin Peaks, another Dr. Amp show. Sounds a lot like the, the, the other two Dr. Amp shows we've gotten to this point. Nadine still loves him. He's still selling his shovels. It's working for her. Yeah, working for her, working for him. <laughs> I do, I do really enjoy his presentation, his his intro, the way he starts his show. It's it's very lovely. As somebody who has done this podcast and other podcasts, like I admire his, like the 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 intro is like the hardest part. Like you're you're coming in cold, mm-hmm. but no man, seven o'clock every night. He's got a down yeah. to he has all his little gadgets exactly mm-hmm. where he needs them he's got a script he is like ready to roll yes ready to take on capitalism and the uh the monsters of the corporate world yeah the last line in this one was like this treasonous fucks are like it was <laughs> it was pretty pretty super intense but uh pretty good and so now big scene dr amp ends and with no setup, no idea it's coming, the we start in the middle of a heated conversation. Who who do we get to visit? Who's back? We see Audrey Horn. Oh, Audrey Horn. Audrey Horn, who uh everyone's been wondering, where's Audrey? Yeah, she and uh she and Big Ed, who were both on the cast list, I think were the two mm-hmm. the two sort of mysteries where are they when are we going to see them mm-hmm. speaking of big ed i i uh i sort of hawked the credits this time and nadine is listed as nadine hurley hmm. so, so perhaps they're still married perhaps, perhaps she kept his name i don't know after her yeah. sterling high school wrestling career you never you know she probably <laughs> i can only assume she went on to the olympics <laughs> right though did she did she have the super strength after being hit with the sandbag that's because right. because Ed was able to able to hold her. Yes. You know? Yeah. I I, right. I sort of thought that she had lost lost the strength after mm. the the sandbag hit. No more super wrestling. Yes. Helicopter throws for <laughs> Nadine. What a weird show. <laughs> what a weird show. Uh, so yeah, Audrey is back, and she's looking for Billy, whoever that may be. So this is a. A list of characters. There's two scenes left in this episode. There's this extended scene with Audrey. And in this scene, we meet Audrey, Mm -hmm. who we know. We meet her husband, Charlie. We learn of Billy, Mm -hmm. whom Audrey is sleeping with. Mm -hmm. We learn of Tina, Mm -hmm. who presumably Audrey does not like. Maybe has a relationship with her husband, who seems to have just some sort of like contractual like business arrangement with Audrey. He you know, 
she has Audrey has settled, yes. right? Audrey is I mean, she's dynamite. She's just got an amazing brain and she's good looking and all of this and she's in this guy who seems to just talk circles aw- around her not in a not in an intellectual way, but in like you know, when you're when you call the bank and you're yes. on hold and they send you to every single department mm-hmm. on the online banking. And when he finally gives in, he pauses for a second and then like comes up with another idea. Oh, oh <laughs> infuriating. Yeah. yeah, he's he's really sleepy. We do know that Charlie has no balls. That is <laughs> <laughs> repeated early and often in that conversation um, to. Maybe I'll just read my notes and we can we can figure this out. So they're looking for Billy. Mm-hmm. Billy hasn't been seen in two days. The last person to see Billy was Tina. Right? Wasn't it Chuck? Oh, it was Chuck. Tina knows that the last person who saw Billy is Chuck, which is <laughs> now there's two Charlies in the, the equation. There's a Charlie and a Chuck. Um, and there is also a Richard... Right? Because, no. No, never mind. I'm reading my notes wrong. Billy has a truck. Yes. Charlie stole Billy's truck. Yes. And. No, Chuck Chuck stole Billy's truck. Thank you. Uh, Chuck stole Billy's truck. And the first thing that I thought of when I heard a truck is like, oh, was that the truck that Richard was driving? That's what I thought too. And so to get to the bottom of all this, Billy's missing for two days now. Audrey had a dream that he was bleeding from his nose. And sometimes dreams hearken the truth. Isn't that what she says? I think so. Yes. Um, And she wants to go look for Billy, and Charlie won't. He won't go out. So Charlie's idea, after finally relenting, (laughs) she's got her jacket on. He doesn't. And this gives him the opening to say, well, maybe I'll call Tina. So he calls Tina and he has this, this like really spectacular one sided conversation with her because, like, you can feel like my energy is like, Tell me, and you can feel Audrey like, like, Tell just, me! like she doesn't like the person he's talking to, and then like his demeanor changes, like he's getting some real good info, and it turns out that one thing he says is like, well, "That's unbelievable," and then that's sort of when Audrey starts getting really mad, and he hangs up the phone, and he's sort of like really slow about it, and he just he won't say a word to her He's... i would also just like to mention here who even uses a rotary phone anymore <laughs> this just seems to be another device that yes. he is using to waste time yeah yeah <laughs> that is the only purpose that, that is, he yes. has a rotary phone <laughs> so what i did is like i made a list the list i made was so there's seven characters in this scene maybe six but seven you know seven so audrey charlie billy tina paul Mm-hmm. Tina's husband, who may or may not be Paul. So Paul and or Tina's husband are, are <laughs> fifth and sixth individuals. And then Chuck. So there are now, in a show that is sprawling with characters, there are now seven new characters. Trying, We're trying to suss that out. Um, I, I will be... I, I didn't love this scene. I sort of got the idea of it but for whatever reason it didn't 
it didn't move me the way some of the other scenes do. I just, I found it very frustrating and not in like, not in the way I find the show to be pleasantly frustrating most of the time. It just seems like it didn't connect. You know, so um, when Audrey first came on screen, I was super excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say she is not like my my favorite Twin Peaks character, but I still think she's great. I've been missing her in the return. I was very excited to see her again. And you can just feel her her rage and her frustration and i i was i was feeling a lot of that too yeah um and like you said with the characters it was just by the end of the scene i felt like my my head was spinning i was trying to keep all of this straight and i was just enraged with charlie yeah because charlie like charlie like you get the sense that he's been doing this to her for years like this sort of not gaslighting but pretty darn close mm-hmm. to to that maybe i mean who knows what their experiences have been in the past but he definitely seems to have some sort of like condescending smarmy hold over the tenor of their conversations yeah. like he just bats away audrey's concerns and her emotions with look at all this work i have to do yeah he knows exactly how to play her and mm-hmm. it's 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 manipulative mm-hmm. and and sleazy and horrible and and I don't like him. And it's <laughs> it, it is a pretty it there there's a stunning physical difference between the two of them as well. As you mentioned, Audrey's very she's a beautiful woman. She was you know when she was young she was very smoldering and now she's aged very well and she's very you know elegant looking. And then the, her husband is a is a small man. Mm-hmm. a very strangely shaped small man like I, you got the sense like he was sitting in a wheelchair or you know like some sort of device mm-hmm. his you know his hands his hands were very small his fingers were very stubby and he sort of barricaded himself yes. behind this enormous desk with this enormous pile of paperwork mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty pretty shy i guess now the more i talk about it the more i like the scene but <laughs> i i did like i i left it just feeling like Ugh. <laughs> yes that was yeah uh quick trip back to the mayfair diane is at the bar she thanks them for keeping the bar open giving her a drink she pulls out her phone and when we saw the photo of ruth davenport's arm in the previous episode she kind of looks at it and is mouthing something and it turns out she was mouthing coordinate so she had developed a mnemonic device to remember the coordinates on the photo from which Ruth good Davenport. on her yeah right like well she worked for the fbi yeah <laughs> she's got some skills uh where do these coordinates lead us back to twin peaks back to twin peaks and what was diane's reaction she she was not surprised per se i don't know i think i think apprehensive there was might be the word yeah, I apprehensive would use. maybe like even a little bit of terror for some reason like unnerved too like she's Very. just like uncomfortable like oh this this obviously that place has a real meaning for her with cooper's experience there and then mm-hmm. what came back the cooper that came back from twin peaks which it seems more and more like she has some kind of relationship with bad cooper before she sees him in the prison yes and and perhaps 
I don't know. I suspect that she had maybe an over-the-phone relationship with him before the prison, and perhaps the prison is the first time she sees him and gets to mm. talk to him in person and really does have the chance to interrogate him behind all of that, yes. all of those safety devices. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious to see if Diane is, if she's like in his thrall, if she's really like, you know, if she's just part of his his crew of baddies, like, you know, or, or, you know, who knows? She's very, she's tough. She's mm-hmm. really opaque. I yeah. can't, I really can't make heads, heads nor tails of her motives. Yeah. yeah. She's a baffling character. A great performance. Mm-hmm. So much fun. Um, after that, we get a quick shot of the woods, dark at night. I kind of assumed that's where everybody's heading. This, you know, 253 paces west of Jack Rabbit's palace. The, um, that seems to be something's going to happen there mm-hmm. in this place. Uh, our last scene, we go to the roadhouse. The chromatics are back. They're musical guest from episode one, I think maybe two. Uh, I, th- I think, I think so. I don't. Yeah. I think it was the one okay. where like, where James Hurley is there and like, yes. yeah, James has always been cool. Um, has, has he though? Eh, it's debatable. <laughs> It's debatable. He had, he, I mean, he looked great on that motorcycle, but that's that's about it. Um, so the characters in this scene are Abby and Natalie. We've never seen them before. They are having a conversation about their friend Angela, who is spending time with Clark. But Clark was with Mary the other night. Oh, no. <laughs> and they don't like Mary, and Angela hates Mary. Uh, Angela's also off her meds because <laughs> she lost her mom. And then this conversation is interrupted by, remember the man's name who... Oh, it was like, uh, it was like, like stick or something. Trick. Trick. Yeah. <laughs> and he like, he like slides into the booth. He like slams into... Yeah. It's a very Kramer-esque yes. introduction. Like yes. all of a sudden Trick Hello, is there yeah. and he was almost thrown off the road. So my question to you, who do you think almost ran him off the road? If you had to pick, is it, is it Richard Horn? I mean, Richard Horn seems to be a pretty terrible driver. Yeah. So, uh, Could it be Bad Cooper? Um, well, we don't know where he is. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I think he is business in Vegas. I think you're right. I think um, that's, he's, he's going to stop in Vegas before Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. What I took from this scene is just more and more we're seeing that uh, Twin Peaks, while it still has this spooky supernatural side, it also seems to have entered the real world. Yes. Uh, And I think that this is just another way, um, remembering the scene in the police office Mm -hmm. where we first see, you know, Maggie and the side of the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department that is taking care of DUIs and drug overdoses and and very real things. Um, To me, the scene was a signpost that in Twin Peaks, there are people who are cheating on their significant others and getting run off the road and people are on drugs. And and it it seems to have become less of the idyllic place that we had originally believed it to be. Yeah, it's just a, it's like a regular medium-sized American town, Mm -hmm. modern American town. Um, so Trick ran off the road. He's no longer under house arrest, so he's a free man. <laughs> and then the last dial, the last line of this episode is, I believe it's Natalie says, 
whoopee <laughs> and then credits chromatics <laughs> so part 12 yeah 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 i mean yeah. i think 11 was such a high point of um narrative like the the the, the narrative moving forward of like weird non sequitur comedy of the the payoff of the Mitchum brothers storyline, which is really good. Cause like when those guys started, I was like, eh. and then at the end I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these guys are great. Um, so I suspect that in two or three or four episodes, maybe we'll look back at part 12 and be like, Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, perhaps in the same way that we did with part 10. Yeah. Right. Cause part 10 was, was similarly slow and mm-hmm. there were scenes of, of terrible violence, but it all, yeah, it all, it all sort paid of came off together. in 11. Yeah. So uh, there's this yeah. very strange, like if twin peaks were a puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle, like Lynch is not, he's not concerned about the border. Right. Like he's, he's not, not putting, doing the edge. Yeah, pieces he's not first. worried about the edge pieces first. He's just <laughs> taking whatever fits mashing it together and like you know if, and, and if you look at a puzzle at his house it'll be spread out on the card table and there'll be like 17 pockets of like 12 pieces put together yep. and then just pieces scattered everywhere else so i think that's it yep any last thoughts i don't nope. know what the tagline for part 13 is i didn't look it up in advance but uh, uh neither did i all right it'll be a surprise so this is uh saturday night so about 24 hours from now New Twin Peaks will be in our life. Um, I'm excited for that. Me too. So, well, Amelia, this was a blast. It's nice to be in the same room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, uh, I envy your comfortable chair. Um, it suits you very well. I think any and all Twin Peaks podcast hosts should probably have a leather armchair to sit in. <laughs> Sorry I did not bring a fine Bordeaux. But uh, until next time, thanks for joining us. Fantastic. Gentlemen, to Weevil.